We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Toe Jam 1992 asks, does Tyree go to the draft next year? It's possible. I mean, it depends what type of season he has, right? I mean, that's what comes. We know that when he does, he's going to test really well. <laughs> he's going to run yeah. an insane time. He's going to test really well, probably all the way around athletically from a explosive explosion, explosion, excuse me. I don't know why I couldn't say that word perspective. So it, it really depends. If he has a nice year, then it's always possible. If a running back is, is a, is a, in a position that they get drafted high enough as the as a third year player, it's pretty wise in the, in most circumstances to jump early, but that is obviously depending on how he does next year. I, I say I, if I had to predict, I would say, no, he's not in the draft next year. If I had to predict, because if he, if he, if he, let's say he leaves because he's not getting a lot of touch, he's not going to the draft. He would just transfer somewhere and get his Notre Dame degree and transfer somewhere. So I don't think he's, I don't think he'll. I think he'll be at Notre Dame in 2023. Jack Lassen asks, "Will Will SC be the favorite to win the Pac-12 next year? Notre Dame could legit play three of the five Power Five conference champs if SC can overperform, and Clemson gets back to what they were before last year. Look, I don't even think Clemson has to get back to what they were in the past to win the ACC. The ACC is not very good. I mean, Pitt won it last year, right? Mm-hmm. Pitt lost to didn't they lose to Bowling Green? Mm-hmm. You know, was it Bowling Green? Yeah, really? yeah. yeah. Because they—that's the thing—is they beat Tennessee and uh-huh. like, and they lost to Miami. And it's like if they could have just beat freaking Bowling Green, they would have had a shot to, you know, they might have had a a playoff argument to make late in the year. Yeah, they lost Yeesh. to Bowling Green. That's awful. no Western Michigan. They lost oh, okay. to Western Michigan. That's that's a little yeah. better than Bowling Green. Bowling yeah. Green's pretty bad, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they lost to Western. Bowling Green beat somebody last year. Who did Bowling Green beat? I remember they have said someone because I think they actually had a little better season than they typically do, right? Well, they, fired, been awful. they fired Brandon Gorder. I'm sure that helped. <laughs> you know, I mean, they actually had somebody, de- you know, decent. Uh, they beat Minnesota. That's who they – I knew they beat somebody good last year. They, they beat Minnesota, went four gotcha. and they beat Minnesota. Yeah, they lost to Western Michigan, right? Like the ACC stunk last year. The second best team in the ACC was Wake Forest and Clemson curb stomped them late in the year when they were finally getting going. So – yeah, I think that's you know Ohio State being the big be, be, look at Ohio State being the Big Ten champ, Clemson being the Big Ten champ. 
I don't think USC is the favorite right now. Could they win it? Yes, of course they could win it. They have a great quarterback, and anytime you have – well, they have a great talent at quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback yet. I think he will be. Yeah. And you have a much better coaching situation than you had a year ago. But they were 4-8. and eight. Going from 4-8 and eight to winning the Pac-12, I mean, Utah is not just going to roll over and play dead. That's what I was going right? to say is, is Utah would be my favorite right, right. now. They're, Oregon, I mean, they're, you know, yeah. I'm a lot higher on Bo Nix than you are, but he's a good college quarterback, and he fits that system. They've got talent coming back. Oregon's not just going to roll over and play dead. Yeah. So I'm not ready to tr- – and UCLA's got a, a – even though they lost some guys, they got a, they got some good players too. UCLA, again, not oh, going to roll over and play they got, dead. They got Charbonnet, DTR's back for yeah. the 100th year. Yeah, so, yeah. seriously, that kid's been around freaking forever. Yep. So I don't think – could they win it? Yes. Could your scenario happen? Sure. I'm just not ready to assume it or consider them the favorite. That's my – that's my thing, no. my stance on that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 99 problems with BKA1. Am I the only person who, despite being really, really high on Marcus Freeman's staff, thinks nine and three would be a success would be successful for a first-time head coach? Urban's first season at Florida. He went nine and three and he had been a head coach for five years. I want to address the last part and then you can touch on the first part. Completely different situations. I mean, Urban Myers replacing a fired coach. Ron Zook was fired because he wasn't winning. So it's a completely different situation. And so Nine and three was an upgrade over what they had been. Nine and three at Notre Dame would be worse than what they were when they took over. And so I would not, am I going to lose my mind if they go nine and three? No. Is it, would it be considered, would I consider it successful? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. No. Ryan, Ryan Day had never been a head coach and they went to the playoff in his first year. Mm-hmm. Right, because he inherited a great situation. Lincoln Riley had never been head coach, and he was younger than what Marcus Freeman is now. And they went to the playoff his first year. Yeah, right. So it's you can't you have to compare him to similar coaches, and you can't compare Marcus Freeman. As much as I dislike Brian Kelly, he they went eleven and two last year. They were ten and two the year before that, and 
12 and one the year before that, or 11 and two the year before that, and 12 and one the year before that. So yeah, nine and three, nine and three is what Notre Dame did after they went four and eight. Right. right. Like I just, no, I, again, would I lose it? No. Would I say, gee, they shouldn't have hired him? No. It would take worse than nine and three to get to that. But it also wouldn't be considered a success in my opinion. No. Because no. he's inherited too good of a situation. Here's the one I think you're. Was this the one you're talking about, Ryan? From Timeout yes. Tom, I was watching yes. Eliza Page film and really liked him. Yep. For a high school junior, his technique is advanced. Plus, he has foot speed to burn. He must have excellent coaching. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. I, I think that uh, Pinnacle must have a good offensive line coach, whoever does it over there, because I thought he was very patient, stayed square, good hands, active and pass pro. Like I. Yeah, I liked it. I liked this film a lot, and I thought he was a good athlete too. When you saw him move in space, he looked good. So, I like Elijah Page. I think he's got. I think he's got some substantial developmental potential. Obviously, he's, you know, can, needs to continue to get stronger, fill out. But I think the tools are there. I, I like the tools a lot, actually. Yeah. And uh, Bronx ND fan with the IB hat in the background. Love that. Thank you for that. Haven't seen you in a while, so good to see you here uh, in the show. What's the best way to use the stable of running backs without becoming predictable to def- defenses based on who is in the game? Want to take a crack at that, Ryan? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, again, you need to find niches for your for your backs, right? Like you need to find what the roles they kind of fit into. That's why you don't kind of get become predictable because then you can mix and match things. And I think a lot of ways – I would love to see two backs on the field a ton because I think that you can use parts of what each of them do well in various um, in various various strategies. Like, I mean, for for instance, if you're talking like Audric Estime, why not have Audric Estime in the game with a Chris Tyree? Maybe you have two backs and you're in the gun. Motion Chris Tyree behind you. You can either hand off the inside zone for, to a guy like an Audric Estime. You can pull, maybe throw, just throw a little swing screen out to him, you run the speed option, whatever. Like, there's ways that you can use guys in unison to their to maximize their skill set. So I don't think that it's just simple like, you know, oh man, you got Audric Estime in, he's running, he's running power, he's running inside zone. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't have to do that because these guys don't have limitations in my opinion. All these backs. Again, like I keep talking about this, but I thought Estimate looked really good running routes. Like I don't think that you have to dumb it down and simplify it to that degree. And I think that there's ways that you can use multiple backs at the same time so that you can't key in on one player's skill set. So I think just using the players appropriately, but together. Use them, use them in ways where you can be creative with them so it's not just here's inside zone. We know what's coming here. Here's a screen. We know it's here. There's that. That's kind of where you get in trouble, where people just kind of are like, "Oh yeah, I, I know exactly what's coming with that guy." Good answers. Don't disagree. I think the uh, the only element that I would add is it also adds to when you have a running back or a running a quarterback that can run like Tyler Buckner. Mm-hmm. I think it also makes it harder to key on on what they're doing. Right. It just it it always makes it harder, and the RPO makes that as well too. But you're you're right. Everybody does one thing better than the other, but they can all do everything, and that's important. Agree. Mason Sidwell was a super chat. I'm a Colts fan. And with all the wide receivers coming off the board, I was wondering which wide receiver would still be a good pick at number 42, Ryan. It's a good one. Um, I mean, I think – let me take a look at what the board looks like. Is that like too high for Sky Moore for you? No, it's not too high for Sky Moore. I, I like Sky Moore. Um, yeah, I think Sky Moore is a guy that makes a lot of sense. He's different than what you have. My immediate thought was Christian Watson from North Dakota State because he brings a speed element. But I also would like to give a guy that's 
just a little bit of a different player to what Michael Pittman is. Cause Michael Pittman's kind of that big body 50, 50 type vertical dude. So um, Christian Watson's a, a guy that's maybe people eye on cause he's got, you know, four, three, six speed won a lot in the vertical plane of the field. As far as being a deep threat, sky Moore, I think is sky Moore is a really interesting player. Cause he's not the biggest guy in the world, but like, I think he could play outside a ton too. Like I don't think he's just a slot guy. He, he really kind of understands how to attack leverage. So I'll throw those two guys out there. I think that's that something good. that's, I think a little bit unique in today's game though. That 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 it was not there 15, 20 years ago. You could not be what's he like five ten, right? You couldn't. It was hard to be a five ten outside receiver. Long you had to be a bigger guy. Yep. And yep. and I think the way that offenses have evolved and changed and the movement mm-hmm. and the stuff that they do, I think you can you can be a smaller guy and be an outside guy. Isn't T Y Hilton's an outside guy, right? And he is, yeah, because that speed, yeah, right. He's what's a, he? He's like five nine, five ten, right. buck eighty. Like he's right. a small guy. Steve Smith was not very big. He's five nah, nine. Five nine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they're 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 more outliers. Those guys are more outliers than than a regular thing. But yeah, I I I definitely think you can be that. Here's a good one from John. What if Deshaun or Malik stayed for 2017? It, I'll say if Deshaun Kaiser would have come back in 2017 and had a attitude adjustment, then. I think that team wins a tie. I think I've said this recently. I think they won a national championship in 2017. I do. But it would have required a, like, you know, I, I like to use the expression, a little bit of a come to Jesus moment. If him and Chip Long could have had a come to Jesus moment and Deshaun would have been like, you know what, man, I got all the talent in the world and I'm pissing it away. I need to grow up. Yeah, that, that would have been scary. I, I don't know about Malik because I just, we never got to see Malik healthy again after. He just he wasn't the same athlete he was. And I don't know if that was because Notre Dame didn't use him right or what, but like we didn't get to see him. Florida didn't use him right. So we never got to see that he could be that guy again. So I I, I couldn't go there. I thought Malik was better before the injury. Mm-hmm. But if Deshaun Kaiser would have grown up and come back in 2017, that team would have been sick. That team would because you'd have I mean, you you I think it would have forced them to play. Boykin and Claypool and guys like that earlier too, because you'd you'd have had to get your better receivers on the field, but especially yep. during that stretch when Kevin Stefferson was still on the team, because Deshaun and Kevin Stefferson for whatever reason had a really good connection in 2016. I mean, they were really good connection. So yeah, that would have that would have been an interesting one, very interesting one. Brian Denbo. So who gets more TDs this year? Uh, I think that's meant to be uh, Tyler. Ty- Tyler Buckner. Oh, here we go. Okay. Who gets who gets more TDs this year, Tyler? So Tyler rushing or Michael Mayer receiving? I think we both have the same answer on this one. Tyler rushing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, uh-huh. ten touchdowns is a lot for a tight end, it especially is. when he's your number one guy and everyone's king on him. We've seen a quarterback rush for. Look, put it this way: Michael Mayer tied the all-time Notre Dame record in tight ends this year with seven right. touchdowns. Brandon Wimbush had fourteen rushing touchdowns a few years ago. Like, you know, it's just a, it's a different deal. If Michael Mayer has more touchdowns than Tyler Buckner, one of two things happened. One, he has a monster year or B, Tyler Buckner got hurt. Yeah, that's a good point. Mitchell Coney, what position group other than quarterback needs to step up to win in Columbus? So one position group, so not a whole unit like defense, but one position group. And I'll bet you, I'll bet From- you a steak dinner the next time we meet that we're, we're going to have the same answer here. I mean, and it's got to be. You started to talk, and I think we're, I'm going to be owing you a steak dinner. Offensive line? No. So I no, you know I, I've I, lost the bet. I, I was going to say secondary. Um, like the secondary has to step up. I mean, uh, if the offensive line plays phenomenal and yeah. plays like a Joe Morrow winner, they could still win, lose forty eight to forty five if the corners play like they did against Oklahoma State. 
if the, if the secondary plays like it did against Oklahoma State. I mean, that's that's kind of how I look at it, right? So it's fair. It's fair. You know, I don't think your answer is a wrong one or a bad one. It's just to me, it's like all the other groups could play great if the corners in the second secondary doesn't play better. It, it because of that specific matchup. I think against Clemson, my answer would be different because against Clemson, it's the line because if the line doesn't play better, they won't score more than 10 points because they will, you know what I mean? Like think about that. Georgia yeah. beat Clemson last year and scored three points on offense. It's crazy. That's it. Three How points. Crazy. That's a, that's a, a really good front seven. Mm-hmm. And most of those guys are back. And Tyler Davis is going to be healthy this year, which he hasn't been the last two years. That's a scary thought. Like, I listen to people talk about the Clemson D line and nobody talks about Tyler Davis who two years ago was their best defensive lineman. He was you know, before the injury. So if he's, if he's healthy and Xavier Thomas is healthy, that's probably the best D line in the country, in my opinion. Oh, it is. And it is. we could see in next year's draft, that D line even surpass what Georgia did this year. Cause Georgia had three. I mean, I could see them having three next year. If not mm. yeah. Look, Tyler Davis, miles Murphy and Brian breezy. I Tyler Davis that. in the first round. I could see I that know. I if, he's healthy, that. if he's healthy. If he's healthy, because you know who he was in twenty nineteen or twenty. Is it twenty nineteen as a freshman? Yeah. Oh yeah. yes. But he hasn't been that guy in two years. That's the problem. Right. right. So it's projecting, not mm-hmm. what he is right now. Same thing like Xavier Thomas. Could Xavier Thomas end up being a first round pick? Maybe because he's he's got some length issues. That's the thing that I think hurts Xavier Thomas. But athletically, yeah. if he's back to what he was before the injuries, he's really, really good. 99 problems with BK81. With the success of recruiting the defensive line, do you think Notre Dame could move uh could move to playing a two Viper D line in 23 and 24 instead of Viper and Big End? Keon, Burnham, Gabira all getting after the quarterback could be special. So we're, we're playing a wide nine. Got some Jim Washburn yeah. in here. Is that yeah. what we're doing? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't like it. Ninety nine problems. I, I, it's just not structurally sounds. It's really not because it's yeah. So let, let's explain this, Ryan. So the reason yeah. the reason Florida State could do that back in the day, mm-hmm. right, with their two wide guys, is because back then four three was your base offense defense. Yeah. So that guy was playing a completely different role than what he is now. He was coming mm-hmm. off the edge, and he was either sacking the quarterback or if they were running at him, he was forcing it back inside. Right. There's a lot more spilling that goes on now in today's game because now teams are spread out. You're now trying to spread for length where back in the day, you were always trying to funnel everything in back to your linebackers. So back then you had three inside linebackers. So where that guy, so like that gap now between the big end and the nose in an under front or the big end and the three technique in an over front was being one of those gaps is being filled by a linebacker and yet another linebacker in one of the a gaps. And then you had a will linebacker coming off the edge, you know, on like a stunt, like the the end goes in and he comes up where he's filling that gap. And then Sam linebackers back in the day used to have to be chase players. So then it was the job of the corner to funnel everything back into the the Sam and pursuit in a four, two look or a three, three look. If you are, if you got those wide guys, you got serious gap integrity issues inside of that. And that's the problem. Because because of the spread, that's the problem the spread has put you into. So when Ryan talks about it being unsound, that's why you could do that 20 years ago, but you can't do that now. That's the nature of defending a spread. If you're gonna if you're gonna play that now, you're you're gonna have some issues. Unless you're just gonna have a safety that's basically coming down and playing inside the box, which at that point in time just freaking go to a four three. You better you, know you better I mean? have, you better have a darn good inside linebacker if that's yes. what you're gonna try to do. Yes. So it's just I now. 
that doesn't mean it won't we won't see we will see that front ryan but we already mm-hmm. see that it's called their nickel package it's their speed right. package when teams are going to throw they'll still yeah. show that but not not, not a base set right though, not a base right set. and yeah. i think people don't have to understand a four down and a four two five in today's game has to be different than a four down in 20 years ago because of that so that's why we can say like they don't have a true second edge player like you did in the past and i mean to me i don't i don't think you need one the way that you're especially the teams that they're playing now in my opinion so i i do like the question i do i do think the thinking out the box question but i would say a guy like gobira could grow into a big end i mean he's got a nice frame it's going to be a while but he could do that keon may i mean keon can end up being 270 when it's all said and done so and present you some really unique opportunities there but i yeah. there, there's a reason that this defensive line class that mm-hmm. they're talking about is jason Moore. like people are like you got jason Moore. Bubakar, Devin Hewson, and and Brennan Vernon, like who's on the edge? I'm like, well, they only got one. We so we only need really true one edge. That that's what they want at big ends. There's three guys who can play big end in this defense and and three yep. technique, and that's the that's just the nature of it. Keon Kelly's gonna be massive, man. He's yes. got like a he's got like a Miles Garrett body. He's, he's already <laughs> starting to fill out a little bit too, right? Yes, as we is. saw from when he was in town for the Blue Gold game. Yep. Sean Kane, that's a good one. Do you guys see a scenario that Prince Colley, Jordan Patelho, and Maris Luafau are the starting linebackers? I think those are the three most talented right now. I mean, it's it's always possible. I mean, I mean, but so this is this is where I am at, right? Maris is yes, Maris will be on the field. There's no doubt. Jordan Patello has enough talent to challenge for that rover spot. It's going to be about trust with him. But mm-hmm. we see it when it's when he's out there and he's locked in. I mean, the kid was a menace in the spring game, like coming off the edge, being aggressive. But the aggressiveness is going to get him hurt sometimes, right? Because it's all about discipline at that position. So he can play. I And I want Jordan Vitello to play because he's dynamic. He's a dynamic mover. Prince Kali has a battle, right? Like, And this is the thing about Prince Kali is, is he, a, is he going to be able to play Mike full-time? Is he a will? That's the, kind of like the back and forth, right? And we just saw a junior uh, – how do you pronounce his last name? Top – Tui Alamaka come in and he had a great spring and you still have guys like Bo Bauer that are there that are going to challenge. So I, I think that it, you can at some point have this on the field, especially when you're trying to get a little more speed on the field, but how frequently as a starting lineup, probably not a hundred percent likely that that happens. I, I could see Prince and Maris be on the field for together. I could see Jordan being the rover. I just look Jordan looked great. I just I need to I need to hear I if I hear nothing about Jordan Patel between now and September third, then I'll say yes. There's a chance for that to happen. If I you know and that but that's yeah we'll see we'll see. Ninety nine problems of BK one recruiting question. Notre Dame is still recruiting Cardinal Tate. Is it a waste of resources at this point? Would you shift resources to someone else like Tyler Williams? Also weekly Dante Moore question. We still good. I'm I'm just quickly answer this. Number one is there are not an, a finite number of time that you can spend on a guy. It's like well you're only allowed to talk to a guy for X number. Of, you can only talk to recruits for X number of hours, right? I mean practically speaking, I mean say twenty four whatever. It's not practical. Practically speaking. Because you're recruiting Cardinal Tate doesn't mean you can't also still recruit Tyler Williams just as hard and Ronan Hannafin just as hard and every other receiver on the board just as hard. It's not an either or. You're going to recruit both of them hard. And so 
when a kid has Cardinal's ability, you still recruit him until he tells you to stop calling him. Uh, that's that's my that's my stance on that, Ryan. I, I, it's not an either or. It's it's both and, in my opinion. You there? Yep my uh, my mouse stopped working, so I couldn't hit the unmute button. Fun times. I, hate that. <laughs> I mean, you answered it perfectly, though. I it's again. Especially how Notre Dame's recruiting works now. This isn't just like one wide receiver coach is recruiting only the wide receivers and he has a limited amount of time. It is a joint effort. And like you said, there's no reason that you have to just one player, right? You're going to continue to recruit Cornell Tate, like you said, until he starts stops, stops completely. You're out of there, right? And you're also going to recruit Tyler Williams because they are elite wide receivers and you do not just stop recruiting elite football players because you are cognizant of your time. Right. As far as the weekly Dante Moore question, look, y'all, I, I promise you, if there's something new to report, I'll tell you. Uh, I'm I'm still good. And if you're on the message board, you saw my comment on it yesterday. Um, um until somebody gives me a reason to feel differently, I'm, I'm my opinion hasn't changed. Yep. Rob Didoff, Brian, Vincent, Ryan, speaking of the draft, is there anyone on the current or future Notre Dame roster you think could be the overall number one pick in a future draft? I think we were asked this last week, Ryan, and mm-hmm. I think that there was really only, only to me, only three potential options on the current roster. On the because current we, roster? We, we went down the list and, like, we haven't seen a running back pick number one, I don't think, like in ever. decades, rece- <laughs> yeah. I don't think a receiver's ever been picked number one. A tight end has never been picked number one. Michael Mayer could be the best player in the draft next year, and he's not probably going to the top five, mm-hmm. right? Like it just, it just, it's just a, so that you got to think about that when you're talking about it's going to be a quarterback, a tackle, a defensive end is about it as number okay. one, right? I mean, man, just, and that's not, that's just me looking at, I mean, I'm, I'm going to look at the NFL, like the history of the number one picks, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of go right now. So, like, if you if you look at – see, so go to position round one. Let me see here. Pick and round. Here we go. First pick. Here, here's the list of who's been picked number one in the last 30 years. Defensive end, quarterback, 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 defensive end, quarterback, quarterback, defensive end, offensive tackle, quarterback, 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 tackle. Offensive tackle, quarterback, defensive end, quarterback, quarterback, about five years of quarterback, defensive end, quarterback, quarterback, Offensive tackle, quarterback. Not since Kajana Carter in 1995 has a running as a non-quarterback defensive end or offensive tackle gone number one. And then before that, it was uh, it was receiver Keyshawn Johnson in '96. Mm. And then it was defensive tackle. There, remember, there was a stretch there where there were some Steve Entman and there's some hey, guys da- like that. Hey, Daddy yeah. Dan Wilkinson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Steve yeah. Entman and then Russell Maryland. But then quarterback, quarterback, linebacker, quarterback, running back. So in the, since Bo Jackson went number one. Since that, there's been one other running back taken number one, and that was 1995. So it's going to be a quarterback, a defensive end, or an offensive tackle, right? Yeah. I don't. I, as much as I love Tyler Buckner, right now, I I don't I, view, I don't view him as a number one overall pick. I don't think of him as Trevor Lawrence and that kind of guy, mm-hmm. right? Uh, offensive tackle. I think Blake Fisher could eventually has the talent to be a number one overall pick. I do. It's fair. I think Isaiah Foskey, if it wasn't for Williams, mm-hmm. I would say maybe. Or Anderson, you mean? Yeah, Anderson, I would say Williams. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, I would mm-hmm. say I think that that 
that maybe Foskey, if he has just a monster and tests really well. But again, Kayvon Thibodeau just went fifth, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, that's just that. I don't know what you think of that, Ryan. I mean, you and Will Anderson with him coming out, it's like it, he'd have to take a big step back or Foskey would just have to put up monster combine numbers. Yeah, he'd have to test like a historical athlete, right? Because that's why fives, right? Yeah, that's what just right. that will, that's what Walker just did, right? That's why he got drafted first overall because he ran four five one and two seventy two with right. a forty inch vert. Like it's just very rare the numbers that he put up. I would say the only one that I'm confident in is Blake Fisher, honestly, because yeah. he, I mean, six six two three thirty five long arms. I, yeah, he has the look of it, you know. Yeah. And Foskey does to a degree, but. I don't know. I just think that the the class that he's in next year, like you said, is going to have a, another dude. Because you can't just say, in theory, in theory, he could be a number one pick. He has the talent, right. in my opinion, to be that. But you have to practically right. look at what next year's draft class looks like. And I just have a hard time seeing him fall behind Will Anderson. Because I also think Will Anderson has a little bit more positional flexibility. I think he he projects yeah. better to three. He projects great to a three, four, and maybe even more to a three, four. Yeah, stand up. Where yeah. if it's a three four team picking number one, I don't know if I love Foskey quite as much as I love Will Anderson at number one. If it's a four down team, now that could be where we could get into an interesting conversation. Sure. And what the need is, does that team have, like, let's just say Jacksonville didn't pick Trayvon Walker last night. Let's say they took Evan Neal. And let's say they're picking again next year. And they have the number one pick. Are they going to take Will Anderson and say, okay, I'm going to play him with the other kid – why am I drawing a blank on this kid's name? The defensive uh, – end. Alice Turner? No, 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 no. Uh, who are you talking uh, about? That Jacksonville took a couple years ago. Oh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Yeah. Or, does does Anderson and Josh Allen fit together? That's that's a question. Or would Foskey – and I mean, there's always those kind of things. But in it, it, practically speaking, barring some strange circumstance, I just have a hard time seeing Foskey taking ahead of Will Anderson. Yeah. I just now, Right now, right now. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Will Anderson could have a down year. He could get injured. I mean, there's all. I hope not, for yeah. the kids' sake. But you know, just right now, I, I and I don't put Joe Walton in that conversation because I think Joe. You don't see often a technician being taken number one overall. If Evan Neal's not going to be taken number one overall because he's a technician to me, he's not a dominant player. To me. He, I think there's a misconception about Evan Neal because he's so big that he's like a he, no. He's more Ronnie Stanley than he is Quentin Nelson. Right. He's, I mean, he's an he's an athletic kid. He's not he's like a, a yeah. brute strong. Right. Well, I mean, like he has strength, but like he's not like a, not a, a mauler. Finisher. Not a, right. Yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. He's Ronnie Stanley, not Mike McGlinchey. I mean, that's yeah. just that's that's his far style of play. Mm-hmm. So I, I think those I think those are those are the one. Now, are, there's a couple kids coming in in the the incoming freshman class that could be that. I mean, Keon Keeley could Keon Keeley could be Will Anderson in my opinion. Awesome. I, I think I think he's that good. I mean, and I'm not talking numbers wise. That's weird. Impact. Will Anderson is not going to have the same numbers next year they had this year. And, 30, 31 tackles for loss and 16 sacks or something. Yeah, I thought he had like 19 sacks. It was, a, was, it was it 19? An, an insane number. 17 and a half. 17 and a half. Okay. 33 and a half tackles for loss. 17 and a half sacks. Like, and he had like he had like 80 something tackles too, right? Like it was a good one. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, 57 solos. Right. So that's I mean, crazy. I don't see him repeating those numbers, but it doesn't mean he's not going to be just as good, if not better. I mean, that it's like we made that case about Foskey. Foskey may not have as many sacks this year as he did last year. Doesn't mean he won't be a better player. I hope he sure. does, but doesn't necessarily mean uh that he that he's not. So 
good. Some man, Ryan, I'm telling you, man, like it's two hours in and it's going by fast because there's so many good questions today. You guys are bringing yep. it big time today. Joe Leeson, other than Clemson and Boston College, 22, 2022 has to be one of the worst home game schedules in recent memory. Can you think of a worse home game schedule? I'd be PO'd if I were 2020. It was a garbage home schedule because you had Clemson and then it was the rest of the ACC teams. Notre Dame's had a lot of bad home schedules in recent years. A lot of bad home schedules. No, I, I'm not, I'm not going to agree with you on this one. Uh, Cause I think it's like, I like Cal coming into town. It's a team you don't see very often. I think that's pretty cool. You do have Clemson. You'd have the BC. I mean, those are two big games. I mean, BC is going to have great storylines with Jerkovic and Takis and, and John McNulty coming back. Mm-hmm. There have, Definitely been. I would argue this year's home schedule was worse than that one. Way worse than that one. Here's this year's home schedule. Toledo, Purdue, Cincinnati, USC, North Carolina, Navy, and Georgia Tech. I'll take 2022's home schedule over that. USC was garbage last year. Mm-hmm. And I'll Clemson over USC. And what's the next best home game? Cincinnati? They were a good team, but that, there's no storyline there. 2019 wasn't a very good home schedule either. The home schedule in 2019 was abysmal new mexico virginia bowling green bad usc virginia tech navy and boston college we've talked about this before ryan Mm -hmm. when you want if you want people to be more excited at notre dame home games to stop selling tickets and and have more energy schedule better right because i mean i just i can't the last time i remember notre dame having a good home schedule 2018 wasn't bad if Florida State didn't suck, that would have been a much better home schedule. Because you had it, Michigan, that, Stanford that year. You had Michigan. Yeah. Stanford was still good at the time; was yeah. still perceived yep. as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Pitt, which is a rivalry, and you mm-hmm. had uh, Florida State, which again, if they didn't suck, that's a that's a good schedule. It ended up not being a good home schedule, but it should have been. And then 2017 was a good home schedule. I thought you had you had Temple, Georgia. Uh, Miami of Ohio, USC, NC State was wank, ranked Wake Forest and Navy. That was a good home schedule too. But it's been a while. It's been a while. We haven't seen schedules like that. Like the 2015 home schedule was another one that sucked. T- Texas, who stunk, but good name. But there's Georgia Tech, UMass, Navy, USC, Wake Forest. Like Ooh. they haven't had a good home schedule in a while. So I don't think I actually think this one's one of the better ones. You got Stanford's arrival. Right, yeah. you got Clemson and BC, and and a Cal team. Because again, what I like is I don't. Not, you can't. Every game can't be. You can't have. Okay, what's your home schedule? It's a USC. It's Alabama. It's Ohio State. It's right. That's absurd. Yep. So if you're gonna play teams like that, I like Marshall being on this. I think that's cool. When has Notre Dame ever played Marshall? I don't think they've ever played Marshall. That's pretty cool, right? I, I can't um, remember them ever playing Cal. Them. You got Cal. You don't. That, you don't see Cal very often. Like you, I like it when it's teams we don't get to see very often. Then you got USC, you've got Stanford, and you've got BC. Now Stanford stinks, so it doesn't mean as much. But Clemson and BC, those are big games. I don't care about UNLV. I mean, whatever. Like UNLV is like no, New Mexico. That's no. so messed up. It's yeah, so messed it's like New Mexico. I know you don't care either. So uh, I actually I, like I, this. I cared. I cared about New Mexico when Bob Davy was the coach. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a bad game. Irish Gordian, not the Ravens have eight picks in the next three rounds. That's right, eight with the Ravens' affinity for Notre Dame. Do you think any other Notre Dame players get picked by Baltimore? That's a Ryan Roberts question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think we I think we may have talked about Kevin Austin the other day. I mean, they obviously really liked what they what 
Miles Boykin brought to the table when he, when he came out of Notre Dame. So maybe go back to the well a little bit, has that type of athleticism. I think the Ravens are always looking to upgrade running back, too. I know they have J.K. Dobbins coming back, but they had a lot of injuries last year at the running back room. So getting a guy like a Kyron Williams would make sense to me. And Ravens are also kind of a multiple front. So maybe later in the later in the draft, maybe in the sixth or seventh round, they're a team that's going to be drafting a guy like a Myron Tungvaloa Mosa, a guy that can kind of play three-man, play four-man, play a little bit of everything, kind of have some alignment versatility. I think he has a potential there. I don't think they'll be in the Jack Cone market just because uh, him and Lamar Jackson are a little different of players. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think and Kyron that, makes You'd say sense. that's too high, though, yeah. right? Like, next three yeah. rounds would still be would be too high for Jack. Yeah, next yeah. three rounds. Yeah, so we're going into the fourth round. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it would be higher for Myron, too, then. So I'll just, I'll just stick yeah. with Kyron Williams and Kevin Austin for this one, then. All right, let's go. Zach Martin, Notre Dame will have back-to-back NFL drafts with the best value in JOC and Kyle Hamilton. It's wild. It's fair. fair. It's fair. Yeah. yeah it's in there the was a couple of crazy values in the in the draft. I mean, Baltimore, Baltimore got another great value with Linderbaum at 25. Jermaine well, Johnson at 26 was a crazy for value. The people that didn't listen to the show earlier, I mean, I misunderstood a question you asked about. I thought yeah. you asked me if Jordan Davis and Kyle Hamilton weren't on the board, who would Baltimore take at 14? And I said, I don't think it would be absurd for them to take the kid they took at 26 or 25 at 14. No. So then to get him at 25 is good value. But, yeah, I, I would say I – because mean, if, if if you're of the belief that Kyle Hamilton is is one of the five best players in the draft, mm-hmm. then 14 is great value for him yep. because you're not paying top five money for a position that you don't want to pay top dollar for. So I, I think it I think it works out great for yep. them. So it's in the conversation. And Jeremiah Usukoromo last year was tremendous – even greater value than Kyle Hamilton because Kyle Hamilton's still 14. I mean, Jeremiah went 50th last year. And Zach, I would ask us this maybe on like a Monday show because also the draft isn't over, right? So, I mean, maybe maybe Andrew Booth falls to the third round and I'm like, what, brother? Like, that's crazy, you know? So Yeah. But, yeah, that's a good good point. That's a good point. Jordan Schreiber says, could Notre Dame have taken Osita's twin if they wanted? So, if for those that don't know, Ikem Ekwano, who went six to the – to the uh, Carolina Panthers last, last night is the fraternal twin brother of Osita Ekwanu. They could have taken him, but he wasn't a he wasn't a he was one of those kids that was a late bloomer. He no nobody really big looked at him. That's why I went to NC State. He was, he was a, only like he was only like two seventy something coming out, right? Like he was a yeah, smaller dude, I undersized think. guy. He was ranked as the number six hundred and twelve player in the country. So yeah, he he could have taken him, but. He would have been a guy that that people that are like like the star watchers would have lost their minds if they would have taken him in twenties when he came out in twenty in the twenty he was part of the twenty nineteen class yeah you know they, like they would they would have just said it was a throw in for Aceto right like, right exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. so yeah they could have it, it look it's like Jesse Bates I, I don't I, I've never like I've joked about Gia they should have taken Jesse Bates but it, I didn't know who the heck Jesse Bates was coming out of high school. This is why I went to Wake Forest. Ohio State didn't take him either. Neither did Michigan. He went to Wake Forest, right? So you got to be smart. Like you could argue George Karloftis is a guy they mess, missed on because they had him on camp. They saw him. They knew who he was. He was a top recruiter. Uh, two four seven has a five star. N- nobody when when Ohio State, Michigan, and Notre Dame all pass on the kid, and Michigan State all pass on the kid. He goes to Wake Forest. It's because he wasn't that kind of guy at that time. That's just the reality. It's like right. saying. How could all these teams miss on Trey Lance? Because he wasn't a big-time player coming out of high school. Right. Same reason Ben Roethlisberger ended up at Miami of Ohio. 
because he didn't start at quarterback until his senior year of high school, and he wasn't even that good then. Yeah, he was a tight end at right. most of his time. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So that's the thing you got to consider. So I'm, I'm not going to hammer them. And that and it, it, look, that was a Jeff Quinn class. I could easily use it to take a shot. Jeff Quinn. No, I, no, that's not fair. But it, boy, if they would have taken him as a throw in for yeah. that, here's the other question. He's still not the number six overall pick last night. Because he no. wouldn't have been developed that way by Jeff Quinn. Someone just said that, and that, I mean, you could all you could always have you could always have hindsight with that type of stuff. It's like I, I someone said something about Sauce Gardner, and Sauce Gardner was like a two star recruit too. Like he wasn't yeah. that guy either. It's just that right. just happens. Some guys like yeah. some guys develop at different rates. That's all. Now Cincinnati loved him, but Marcus Freeman he made comments like we we didn't know he was that good, like that that good until he showed up, and like first like he was talking about this on rich he's like they love the kid coming out. i mean mark mike mickens has talked to me he's like man i love that kid coming to high school but even then i didn't i didn't, I didn't think he was gonna be this you know and marcus freeman said in the show like he's like i'm not calling you sauce like you know it's, it's like that scene it's like that uh kings of comedy man, i'm a grown-ass man dog i'm not about i'm not about to call some other dude delicious like <laughs> my name's delicious <laughs> i'm not calling you de- but then he picks that off and he's like okay i'll call you sauce right um so they didn't even think it's gonna be that good. Like Notre Dame didn't think Tyler Eifert was gonna be what he did because that, that otherwise they wouldn't have taken him over. They wouldn't have taken Jake Golick over him, right? And they wouldn't have needed him to come to camp and earn a scholarship. So it's just it's just the nature. Of, it's the nature of the beast. It just happens, it, and more so in football than basketball. It's rare that you see a kid like that. Like ja, the Ja Morants are unicorns that they go to a, a, a Murray State or whatever and develop. Yeah, you know, more so in football, in my opinion. Amos Burton, hey guys, can you speak a bit on how you thought Marcus Freeman represented Notre Dame yesterday at the draft? There was an interview that included day on game day as well as interactions with Sauce and Kyle Hamilton. I, I didn't I didn't see the interview. Yeah. I didn't see the interview. He was exactly what he always is. Marcus Freeman always represents Notre Dame well. And yesterday was no different. I mean, I thought it was silly for me as being to, to bring up they asked him about being a 13-point underdog Ohio State as he's sitting right next to Ryan Day. It's like, what are you guys trying to do here? Like, is this like, is this like the Jerry Springer show? Like, you know, but it's ESPN. But now he he and and he was one of the best dressed dudes at the draft. That green suit, what that that was. Yeah, I'm not surprised about that at all. Yeah, you you know who else had a nice suit? I, I it pains me to say this, but I liked Aiden Hutchinson's look last night. Yeah, that was that was sweet. Yeah. When did so- when did pants not going down past your ankles become a thing? <laughs> I don't. I, I I didn't know it was a thing either. So yeah, I don't, it's I don't a know. thing apparently. So I'm not. The, I, I, I'm not yeah. the person to ask about that. I'm not the person to ask about. That. Yeah, Charles Lynch. Recruiting classes seem to have a position group that is very strong, and others not so strong. And the next year, another group is stronger. Two thousand like or 2022 linebacker, 2023 D line. Why do we not see multiple? So I believe Charles is referring to Notre Dame. Okay. Um. So I'll speak to. I mean, the first one is just sort of, I, I can't explain it. And nationally, I can't explain why some years there's not good line, as many good linemen as others. Right. As far as Notre Dame, I would say it's that's the hap, what happens when you don't have a, a strong recruiting staff top to bottom. That's what happens, right? I mean, Clark Lee, great defensive coordinator, mediocre recruiter when he was at Notre Dame. So linebacking classes didn't, the only line, you know, he had some good years, but not great years. You whiffed a couple times. Safety with Terry Joseph, you know. I mean, there's not. You got Kyle Hamilton. No, Mike Elko. They were leading for Kyle Hamilton when Mike Elko left. 
Mm-hmm. Right. That was just don't. Hey, Terry, don't screw it up. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just it's not having great recruiting coaches. And that's why this current staff is I mean, that's the thing I think both of us like about the potential of this class, Ryan, is it has a potential to not have any holes. And, you know, like last year's class, great class, finished sixth overall, has holes. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you signed one receiver. It was a great player, but you only signed one. So. I mean, love Steve Angeli. Glad he's come along. Should have had Drew Aller. I'm sorry. You know, you yeah. should have. Kate Klubnik wanted an offer from Notre Dame. He was very interested in Notre Dame, and they were like, "Nah, we're good." You know, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting sidetracked in this chat right now. Now we're talking about the pants with the with the that doesn't cover your ankles. They're explaining and, why we now basically are wearing spandex. Well, they said they. Um, Jared Rhodes asked Brian and Ryan, no IB pants that stop at the shins in pipe in the pipeline. Yeah, I don't I don't get it. Like I don't understand it. <laughs> we should get it in the IB store though. Just to have. <laughs> it's like it's just, I've tried to find the track suits. Remember one of the track suits, so we could be the IB mafia and they just don't sell them. I'm gonna have to try to find those some way, somehow. John A1, my draft question. Can Equano be a qual- this is for you, Ryan, because I you're gonna have a very strong opinion on this one. Uh, can can Ikem, Icky, call him Icky Ekwanu, be a quality NFL left tackle? I think he lacks patience to thrive there. I think my Panthers had the right idea and picked the wrong guy. I agree with you, John. I, I think I put it on – if you go look at the at the instant reaction piece I had on the, on, the, uh, on the message board, I think you're on there. You definitely are on there. And I basically – so the thing with – with Iki Aquanu is he's one of the most dominant run blockers that I've ever evaluated, but pass blocking is rough right now, man. And there's a reason there's reasons why it's rough. One, he's just an overly aggressive player. And you saw it against Clemson last year against miles Murphy. You saw it against Florida state against Jermaine Johnson. When he doesn't put his hands in good position early, when he jump sets, he gets in really bad positions and he has good length for the position, but he's not able to recover against those longer dudes. Right. So I think there is some technical work that can happen that he can be better at it, but I naturally just don't think he's comfortable working in space. Like I don't think that he's a natural vertical setter. I don't think he's a natural 45 degree setter. He's a jump setter. So in a specific offense for like the Baltimore Ravens, for instance, right. Where you're running a lot of, you're running the ball a ton. You're doing a lot of RPO and you're asking your guy to have a lot of run action and jump set a ton. I think he could be a quality left tackle. I do. But in most offenses in the NFL, with how they are navigating space a little more, I think he's going to have a little trouble. I do. I think he might be better inside long term, which is not a problem because I think he can be a pro bowl guard. So it's not a it's not a knock at him at all. But I, I do think there are some limitations to him at left tackle. I think he plays more like a guard than he does a left tackle. I don't think he's comfortable in a traditional pass set. Good answer. May say K, like that's why I gave it. May say K, I wouldn't mind the Steelers getting Kevin Austin, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, getting Austin. Period. See, this is why put, you know a, a uh, putting a period in there makes sense. Claypool, Boykin, and Austin would be the Notre Dame package. Yeah, I mean, you got the long, athletic Notre Dame guys that need to develop in one spot. So, I mean, let's see what happens, man. I, don't... I asked you about this one last night because I wasn't yeah. familiar with him. Notre Dame 2164 says, what do you got? My question was more about the need because I don't know the player. Uh, but so we, we, you and I talked about this one a little bit. But Notre Dame 2164, what do you guys think about the Dallas Cowboys pick at 24? Oh, yep. offensive tackle named Tyler Smith from Tulsa. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I did. I was texting with Brian about you know just the need for Dallas. So obviously they lost Connor Williams this year, the left guard. He's now with Miami. They lost Lyle Collins. He's in Cincinnati now. So there's a there's potential opening at right tackle and inside a guard. Tyler Smith is a player where if you watch him at Tulsa, he is long. He's six foot five, thirty four inch arms, nice frame. He's like three hundred twenty pounds. Silly power, silly core strength. He's got good feet. Technically, right now though, he's a mess. <laughs> like it is just not great. But I don't think it's a it's a it's a comfort thing. Like it, a little bit with Ikem Ikwanu, I think he just hasn't been coached very well. To be very honest with you, so I think he has outstanding traits. I think he could be a lay offensive tackle in the NFL. I think he also. I mean, if you want to put him at guard, he's dude is a power plug. Like it makes complete sense. So I think that his upside is substantial. Is the twenty fourth overall pick too high? Yeah. It is. I probably would have said somewhere early to mid-second round. Like That would have been more my ballpark. But I really like Tyler Smith a ton. I like him more than like the, everyone's been trying to hype up Bernard Raymond out of Central Michigan for a little bit now. Like I, I'm glad that Tyler Smith went before him because I just think he's a better football player. So patience with Tyler Smith, but the long term is very promising in my opinion. It's another draft question for you, Ryan, from Justin Coons. Ryan, can you help me feel better about the Vikings passing on Kyle Hamilton, trading 20 spots down and only getting a third-round pick in return just to end up taking a worse safety? I I can't help you. I'm sorry, sir. I can't. It's it's not even so much the, the passing of Kyle Hamilton, which I probably – well, eh, I don't know if I would have taken Kyle Hamilton. But either way, it's not really about passing for Kyle Hamilton. It's the fact that you – Traded back 20 spots, and you, like you said, you only got a third-round pick back, right? So that's a massive jump in a first-round conversation. So I, I wish I could help you, honestly. I, the one thing, the one saving grace I will say is I think that you did get a really good player at 32. I like Lewisine out, out of Georgia. I think he's a really talented player, and I think he might fit better with Harrison Smith than a Kyle Hamilton would, honestly, from a schematic perspective. He's not a better player than Kyle, but he's a different player than Kyle. So I, I like the player that you got at 32, but the value to trade back 20 spots and only pick up an additional third is is not great. I'm sorry. I think the only thing I could say, Ryan, and I, we mentioned this on the earlier show, is I just don't know how well Kyle Hamilton and Harrison Smith would fit in the same secondary because they're very similar players. And so unless you're drafting Kyle to be Harrison Smith's replacement, I don't I don't think that would make I, – I think they had bigger needs, in my opinion, at that spot. So, you know – pick up a third round pick. And look, in this draft, I would argue that the third round pick carries a lot more value than it it does in other years. So I think there's a good football. That's what's great about this draft, Ryan. Like it is it is going to be I think that to your point earlier about value, I think you're going to see a lot more teams getting great value in rounds 2 and 3 than yeah. they've got in the top 15 and 20. I agree. I, I think I of the draft. I think there's going to be some teams that also are going to start trading some picks here in the, in the next couple of days where they want 2023 capital. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a thing too. Because people want to move up in 2023 because there's yes. going to be higher top-end guys. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely right. Good observation. Tommy Guns with a super chat. Thank you, Tommy. I only ever asked about Jagasaw. I only ever helped uh, helped you pronounce Luke. I, I only ever helped you pronounce Luke Fickle's name, and I just missed my exit. <laughs> Tommy's a truck driver. So <laughs> super chassis. That's what you get. That's what you get for messing us up. Uh, NH with a, with a uh, not all football related, but what is your most unpopular food opinion? Oh man. I, I think I have one. I think I have okay. one. Pickles are awful. 
I hate pickles. I think that's super unpopular. That's not. I think that like most people like pickles. Well, I don't me, know. I, I don't know. I don't eat pickles. <sighs> like I don't. You know, here's here's a weird one. It's not unpopular. Okay. I'll try to give my unpopular one here in a second. Yeah. Uh, my weird one is that I actually like the pickle aftertaste on Chick Fil A sandwich, but I can't eat it with the pickles. That's not that weird. I, I kind of feel the same way about yeah. that. So, yeah. uh, unpopular food opinion. I mean, I think all my food. See, are people, to me. people in here are saying unsubscribe. They agree that it is bad take on my part. Bad take. It's unpopular. You don't like pickles. I'm telling you, man. Most like, people like pickles. But most like, people like pickles. Okay, if you like pickles, do you like pickles enough to where you have that strong of a even jokingly have that strong of opinion on them? Okay. I'm just saying, man. But maybe that's because I just don't like pickles. Unpopular food opinion. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, here's one on my, this is a, my most unpopular opinion from a related to the people that I know. Cause I don't know what everybody else out there thinks. I'm sure I could start saying things I like and don't like about food. And you would all think I was insane. <laughs> here's the one that practically speaking, I catch the most, you know, what from, from my family on, on Thanksgiving, my, um, I come from a family of co- like, they can all cook, right? Midwestern family. Grandma grew up on a farm. I mean, they can cook. Right. And, and so, they make homemade stuffing. I hate homemade stuffing. I am a stovetop guy through and through. I hate regular stuff, real, real stuffing. I, I have to have stovetop on Thanksgiving, a hundred percent stovetop guy on Thanksgiving. Oh, I, I have another one. I have yeah. another one. If I can make up for it. Yeah, of course. The best type of cake is carrot cake. The best type of cake is carrot cake. Yep. That's definitely unpopular. <sighs> definitely unpopular. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I get that one. I get that one. I, I'm curious how unpopular. How if this? Uh, I don't like gravy. I hate gravy. That's probably an unpopular one. So like when I have mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving, it's mashed potatoes and corn. I mix mashed potatoes and corn. I, yeah, I, I just I just yeah, do butter. And, I, I just do butter and stuff on my and potatoes. I, too. I prefer uh, boxed mashed potatoes over regular mashed potatoes. But yeah, I don't like gravy. So, yeah, just this chat's awesome. <laughs> People are not happy. Well, Brand, see, Brandon just hates all stuffing. Ryan redeems himself. Love it. I just have that scene from uh, Dumb and Dumber. Just when I think you can't get any dumber, <laughs> you totally redeem yourself. Oh, <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, Tom out, Tom. That's a terrible take. I hate steak. Love pickles. My dad doesn't really like steak, and I love steak. You know, my dad's my role model. He's my hero, hero, and all that kind of stuff. But that's the only other time he's like made me question whether or not I'm his. Ch- if I didn't look like him, that was the only other time I would kind of question whether or not I'm really his kid because he doesn't like steak. I think that's bizarre. How can you not like steak? It's un-American. How about this one, Brian? From Blaine Tiller. Brian is a monster. What about biscuits and gravy? Nope. I, I can do biscuits and gravy. No, I, I can do that. Here's, here's even more. The only gravy that I'll ever eat is the store gravy from Lee's Famous Recipe Chicken in, in Ohio. That's it. I don't eat gravy and on anything. No gravy. And like my dad loves biscuits and gravy. My mom will make him biscuits and gravy. I do not like gravy. Can't do it. I just don't like it. I don't know why. I just don't like it. <laughs> Shamrock Sheath, Fresh Friday Mailbag, Ryan. We talk about whatever. They determine the topics. Shamrock Sean, Ryan, can you come? You can come visit anytime. CCU is a blast. Party town, a golf capital of the U.S. Go Irish, go chance. So there Sean, you go, Ryan. Sean declares, man, the angry chickens. He's offering you some uh, some uh, some benefits that are uh, you know some illegal benefits, but it's all good. That's how I we love roll. it, man. Hey, I, hey, 
I've interviewed several uh, Coastal Carolina prospects this year, and I will say that they tell me that nobody has a better time than Coastal Carolina. So there you go. Well, so I went to college my freshman year in, in North Carolina, and and it was like in, in North Carolina, I guess the party schools ECU, so like kids would just from all over the, the state would just go to ECU on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine from, from what you're saying, I guess maybe Coastal Carolina is like that probably on the weekends, like Clemson and yeah. South Carolina State and South Carolina, all those kids are all going to, to Myrtle Beach area to party with the Coastal Carolina kids. <laughs> Colin McCann says, Lindsey, looks like he filled out a little bit, and I personally felt like the spring game he looked more technically sound. Do you think he will finally be a dude this year? I hope so. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I have fallen into the Braden-Lindsey breakout thing for a couple years now, but he's a very talented player, and they need him. They need that dynamic in this offense. I don't think they need it at a high volume, but they need his element of speed to this offense. So I hope so, Colin. I'm an optimist, but – been burned a couple times on this one. I agree. Hopeful, but we'll see. Jordan Schreiber says, how did you grade Ben Roethlisberger going into the draft? Was that a little bit before your time, Ryan? Yeah, that was 2004. I was I was 13. So I guarantee yeah. you had a mock draft in 2013. I did have a like a, a tablet where I used okay. to like write write notes down and stuff. Yeah, okay. I did. But I, 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 I did not officially grade Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. Okay. I, I, I liked him. Uh, I liked him to be honest with you. I liked him more than Phillip rivers coming out. Oh, see, I was the opposite. I was, um, I remember that draft cause I really loved Phillip rivers and I wasn't a big Eli guy. Wasn't a big Eli guy. There's yeah. a lot of people like that for some yeah. reason. My dad loved yeah. Eli, man. My dad was like, Oh, Ole Miss quarterback. Mm-hmm. So good. I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I, that was a talk, talk about, <laughs> Literally, they all hit home runs. I mean, think about that. Like it, was it never like, happens. It never no, happens. It doesn't. It's usually like a Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf scenario. Right? Exactly. It, it, it's it's or Donovan McNabb, Keely Smith, and Tim Couch. Remember that? Like it's three yeah. guys, only one on pans out, and he kind of panned out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it. uh Yeah, for all three of them to be, I mean, not not one of those teams probably looks back and is like, "Gee, I wish I would have. <laughs> I wish I would have done this instead." Right. 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 Uh, I do find it interesting that Philip Rivers is the only one that didn't win a championship, and I don't feel bad about that because as a Broncos fan, I think he's kind of a jerk. Oh, he uh, is. He's yeah. a jerk. Yeah. He's absolutely a jerk. But yeah. I, I, I kind of like that little like swag yeah. he plays with. If he's you know, on your team, I yeah. love that guy. If he's on your team, the guy's the biggest D-bag in all of the NFL. And as a Broncos fan, he's the biggest D-bag. See, I hate quarterbacks who talk crap to the other team's quarterback. Because mm-hmm. like you're a quarterback, they can't do anything about it. Like you, you know what I mean. Like go talk to the nose tackle or something like that. Go talk track. Get in Von Miller's face the way you do Jay Cutler. You know what I mean. Like don't punch down. He's such a anyway. Jordan Schreiber. If Dante ends up signing with the Irish, do you think he can bring another receiver into the fold like Jalen Brown out of Florida to Notre Dame? That's not really showing interest yet. I mean, it's po- it's always possible, but I, I think Notre Dame's comfortable where the receiver board yeah. is right now. Though, like, why yeah. do they have to do that? You know? Yeah. I've said before, I think, you know, maybe like a Deuce Robinson type, like a tight end or something, but I think the guys they have a receiver, guys they like. I mean, the obvious answer is Cardinal Tate, but even then, I don't, I think that ship has sailed. I, I, yeah. don't, I don't, I don't see yeah. the Cardinal Tate. The only way Cardinal Tate ends up at Notre Dame is if he plays his, th- if he plays his hand wrong. Mm-hmm. And when he's ready to make a decision, all the money's gone. True. And it's like, well, now you get to pick the school you wanted to go to. And then, then Notre Dame would have a shot. Cause I do, I do think deep down, Car- if it's just the one thing that I think that I buy, from what Cardinal has said over the last months, 
is that I think in his heart of hearts, Notre Dame is a school he loves. But unfortunately, that's not what the decision is being based off of. It is what it is. Joe Aribe, here's a good one, Ryan. Other than Michael Mayer, is there anyone on the current roster who has a chance of going in the top 15 in next year's draft? Yeah, I think Isaiah Fosk is the easy one. That's the one that we talk about a ton. I, I think that he can have a trajectory where he's probably a late first, early second round type of player like Aiden Hutchinson was going into the last draft if he would have came out despite the injury. And then he bolts into being a, a number two overall pick. I, I Number two is obviously very high, but the point of the matter is, yeah, I think he could be a top 10 pick next year. I think it's very possible. So Foskey and Mayer are two. I, I agree. It, yeah. I, I don't see Brandon Joseph. Cry. I mean, if Kyle Hamilton's 14, I have a hard time seeing Brandon Joseph go higher. Now he's gonna he's gonna be like a back end of the first yeah. round. I, I feel the same way about yeah. Cam Hart if he takes that jump. He's yeah. like a back end of the first round. Type of I guy. think Cam would have to. Here's the only exception to that, Ryan, is if Cam has the kind of year we think we can, and he just puts up absurd combine numbers. Like if he goes out to the combine and runs like a four three eight or a four four one and has a great year, because of, yeah. I mean we just saw it. We, teams love long corners, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is, obviously Ahmed Gardner did that for three years. He was sure. dominant for three years. So if Cam has an All American season and then and then tests like a like a monster, that that would be the only exception. But it would it would be the testing would be the only exception, and that's just that's with no context of I have any clue what next year's corner draft class is going to look like, right? Like right. I have no clue. So it could it's, be such it, a deep class that I'd be like, oh no, he's not going to crack those guys. I'm just saying, yeah. Without any other context of who else is in the draft, he would be the only other guy. Like I don't care how good Jarrett Patterson is next year. If Tyler Linderbaum is going 25th, Jarrett Patterson is not going to top 15, in, in my opinion. Right, he's not going to get drafted higher than Zach Martin. That's really high for a center, and I would, you know, I I don't see that. Jason Adamiola is not going to be top fifteen. You know, there, there's just there's nobody else that you, that that I could see in that scenario, like nobody else. So Brandon Joseph and Cam Hart are the only guys that I think it'd even be a conversation about. And Jason Adamiola is just the, the size is always going to be the thing for him at that position. You know, mm-hmm. so, but, you know, if he has a monster year, maybe we can re- revisit that. But I just, I don't, I don't see that. I mean, I, I see it being at best, a, like you said, Ryan, in the, in the twenties. Mm-hmm. What I think would be an even more fun conversation. We're actually going to talk about this. It's going to be one of our shows next week is we're going to, Ryan and I are going to get together and we're going to talk about next year's draft class. I already started writing on the, yeah. working on the piece. <laughs> oh yeah. I think next year's draft class could be, it's not going to, and here's the thing. It's not going to be a super, super deep dra- draft class. Most likely. Yeah. But a lot of high value. Like two of their two of their best players aren't even going to be eligible for the draft next year. And think about that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's got a chance to be really, really good. And like, what if Marist has a monster year? You know what I mean? There's all yeah. these conversations. It's, so we're going to do a show about that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I need to say something, y'all. When when these people these spam things jo- drop up in the chat. Don't respond to it. We see it. Ryan deals with it right away. When you start talking about it for five minutes, it only adds to what they're trying to do. Just ignore it and we'll handle it. Okay? I, I got the, I got them out really quick. Too. Real quick. Real right. Quick. Real yeah. quick. Zach Martin, who is this year's Bo Bauer, a freshman who is a special team standout? Good one. Josh I, Burnham. Burnham's one that popped in my head quick. The first two that popped in my head were Burnham and Nolan Ziegler. Ziegler is a good one too. Yeah, yeah those are one. the first two that popped in my head. I and if I had to go with one of the two, I'd probably go with Nolan. I'd probably go with him on that one. But and you then you could 
Jr., Jalen Sneed. I mean, mm-hmm. Jaden Mickey. Yeah. Jaden Mickey's going to play a lot of special teams this year on the coverage teams, obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sean Kane, my take after watching the blue gold game is we can finally put the national media excuse that Notre Dame lacks speed to bed. This team is fast on both sides of the ball. I can't, can't disagree with you on that. No. I mean, if Notre Dame's not good this year, not a playoff team, it won't be because they lack speed. It may be they lack speed in a spot. I still look at that other corner position, right? But like their nickel corner can run, can really run. Tariq Bracey. I think Cam Hart's going to test a lot better than people think. Uh, they have speed. We don't, we'll find out if they have great football players. They can run. There's no doubt about that. Nothing personal. Can we expect to leave the last regime's tendency to struggle against the likes of Florida State, Vanderbilt, Louisville, Virginia Tech in the past? What could cause Notre Dame to do better in those games and keep that tendency? Good question. It's a good question. For I mean, me, I, go yeah. ahead, Ryan. No, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean – it sounds really cliche, but like every week has to be the same, right? Like you have to kind of go about things like like it's business every single week. I feel like there's just sometimes where you look ahead a little bit and then people aren't focused, right? Like there's just got to be an attention to detail and focus is the biggest thing for me. Yeah. For me, I, I I disagree with that theory. I think that was Brian Kelly's thing. Is there, It's business, and every week – no, I think every week needs to be the same, but I think every week needs to be about this is the best team you're going to play. This is like, you know, Brian Kelly's like, there's the there's the nameless, faceless opponent standpoint. And then there's there's the hey, they're gonna bring it. We gotta match it. it it's intensity. It's but all the, the other part of what you said is that it's gotta be about attention to detail. It's gotta be, but the the problem is Notre Dame was not a team to play with any energy. And then they would try to turn that switch on for Miami 2017, and it doesn't work like that. You know, to me, I want to see them get back to being a college football team, which is energy, emotion, passion, fire, swagger, all that. I think those things are the things that, to me, go into this. Ryan is correct about you've got to be a well-coached team that looks at every week the same. Because, like, Lou Holtz was was not that way. Lou Holtz, like, and his players have talked about this. He's like, man, the, they were like, the, the the big weeks were the easy weeks. Because it was all about we're out there to work. We're, you know, it's encouraging and positive and let's go do what we do. But man, when we were playing those other teams, it was miserable. We hated playing Navy. We and not because of the triple option, because they knew that they were going to get ridden hard that week. Because it was the coach's way of saying, hey, these kids aren't stupid. They're going to look at Vanderbilt and realize they're they suck. Right. So how do you keep them locked in that week? Right. And and I tried to adopt that when I was a coach, Ryan. It was like, man, the kids knew, like, we're playing so-and-so this week. Like, uh, you know, they suck. Driscoll's going to be on us. Nothing's going to be good. Nothing we do is going to be good enough this week. And it was true. So they would then go out and say, okay, how can we – we got to be on our best because, you know, we have to raise our game to another level when we're about to play a team that sucks. And I think that's kind of where, where, I, where I, I think what has to be true every week is how you go about your business from a – technique always matters. Right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Competition always matters. All, but I do think the emotional part needs to be handled differently from week-to-week basis because you can't assume these kids, you know they're not going to look at Vanderbilt the way they same way they do Ohio State. So embrace that, right? Take that, and then how can we use that to our advantage or how can we make sure that they're not overlooking Marshall and that they're fired up for that game? And I think that's, to me, that's the – you got to embrace it. Josh Buffo, the motivational business banker. If we are close to a natty or win a natty this year, is there anything that would keep Michael Mayer for one last year? Just curious. 
I doubt Injury. it. Yeah. Is it? Injury is yeah. the only thing that could keep him out. I just – and I don't think he needs to. I mean, look, I, I, my issue with Kyle Hamilton this year was he put himself first before the team too early. He made a decision during a time when you don't make that decision. You you do what's best for your you know your team. Once the regular season is over, then you rethink that. And, and I and I hate it, and I despise it, and I would like to think I wouldn't be this way. But I understand why kids don't play in bowl games now. I do. I don't like it, but that's the nature of what they grew up in, and it's the nature of the business. Okay. So to me, once the season is over, Michael Mayer's only priority should be about what's best for Michael Mayer once the season is over. And if we're just looking at what's best for Michael Mayer, I don't see a scenario other than early season injury or a late season injury, because early season injury means he doesn't play. Late season injury means he's he's not, you know, he may not be eligible. But look at Jamison Williams. He tore his knee, he tore his ACL in the championship game, and he's number 12 overall pick. Right? So uh, depending on the injury, but I just I don't see a scenario where we 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 should want him to come. If Michael Mayer comes back, it's probably something bad happened, as opposed to there being some good reason. And right. I love the notion of he could come back and help them win a title, and that's great, and I respect that. But once the 2022 season is over, Michael Mayer shouldn't be thinking about that. It should like if if Isaiah Foskey, who said he came back to help win a title, and I believe him, I take him at his word, because he wasn't given a top 15 grade. Mm-hmm. If he was given a top 15 grade, he may have every ounce of his being may have wanted to be to come back and win a title, but no, go be a top 15 pick, you know? And so that's my stance on Michael Mayer on that one. Sean Kane says two big what ifs for me. This is back to the earlier conversation of guys coming back. <laughs> what if Jerome Bettis comes back in 1993? Well, I'll take you one better there, Sean. What if Jerome Bettis and Reggie Brooks both come back in 1993? That was possible. And what if Randy Moss got into Notre Dame? Imagine Paula stung to him and Derek Mays. Yeah, I, I mean, I've said that one before. I'm, I, I, that would be fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Fun, And they had Irv Smith playing tight end on that team. <laughs> it's a top, top first-round pick. Yep. That would have been huge. John A1, Josh Burnham is my from out of nowhere pick at Viper. I think he's going to be a dude. I, yeah. No, I mean – the thing is, though, that he's playing a brand new position. I know it's it's good that he got it. Obviously, the transition started in the spring, but just you know, just like maybe temper it a little bit, just a little yeah. bit. Uh, the only the the devil's and I agree with you, but the devil's advocate I would play is that is the one position where you can kind of just be an athletic. Yeah, because I think his role, if he's going to have a breakout, is as a rotation guy, a pass rusher kind of guy. You know, that yeah. would be my only like kind of like Foskey was as a freshman, or, you know, as a as a as a sophomore. Right, mm-hmm. where he was still raw, but he just put him in there and let him go rush the quarterback. But then again, that was Foskey's second year. This will still be Burnham's first year. Antoine Porsche Rideau, with the season that Foskey had last year in this season, I think he can have. Which would be better? Where do you see him getting drafted, especially since he had better stats last year than the Jags pick? Well, I think the Jags pick showed they don't care about stats. The analytics of the draft is not stats related for the most part. Am I correct no. on that, Ryan? No, you are. You are. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson would have went first overall if it was about stats this past year. Right. And George yes. Karloff just would have been a top 10 pick. Probably should have been, but that's like <laughs> But it's, if it's about film yeah. and stats, yep. you know, that's the reality of it. So, Yep. 
Daniel Barry, Notre Dame goes 11-1 and one this year if the offense averages how many points a game? 11-1, uh, I'm going to say 36. I'm going to go 38. 38? Yeah, I'm going to go 38. Because I st- even at 11-1, I think you got to be really good on offense to go 11-1 this year. Ash Rob, who is the best wide receiver Notre Dame has a chance to get in 2023? A speedy slot guy would be great. So let's go with the first part. Yeah. Uh, we agree with you, Rob. That's why we are both very high on Rodney Gallagher. Who was the best wide receiver, wide receiver Notre Dame has a chance to get in 2023 besides Braylon James, who's already in the class? Yeah, um, I would say realistic because we, we've already talked about the Cornell ship. It's kind of sailing. So I, I would say Rodney Gallagher. He's he's the guy for me. And he fits into that speedy slot mold that uh, Ash Rob was talking about as well. I'd go Gallagher as well because I don't view Tyler Williams as an option right now. And I don't view Cornell Tate as an option. So if it's we have a chance to get, I don't you know, again, but we'll find out. I know Tom Maurice is going to go down there and see him this week. I know Chancey Stuckey's trying to get involved with, with him again. We'll see if that works out. Michael says, Brian or Ryan, anything new in regards to this is kind of bringing in line uh, to receiver uh, 2023 Florida receiver target Tyler Williams have seen Reese and vis- is, have seen Reese is visiting the school would be thrilled if Notre Dame can get him to officially visit in June. Thanks. If he comes out in the next week or two and sets a visit date to Notre Dame, I'll talk about Tyler Williams. I mean, we broke his film down because he is a stud talent wise, but you know, I just – I got to see it. Tyler Bangy, coach posted in the message board, but rank the order for a coach. Dynamic recruiter, dynamic teacher, dynamic scheme and in-game adjuster. Obviously needs to be all three, but what's the wishful thinking? So, like, what's priority list? Are we, are, we talking about, are we talking about a head coach or are we talking uh, about position Let's coach? go assistant. Assistant, assistant okay. Because yeah, these are all kind of like, you know, day-to-day – yeah, these look like assistant type of things for me. So I, I would say I would say it's in order for me then already. I think yeah, I, I'd assistant. flip it. I'd would you flip, flip it? it. Yeah, I would. I would always put coaching. I would always put the coaching aspect, the teaching aspect, number one. And and the reason I say that is, if we're going to go to extremes, give me a good player with a great coach over a great player with a crap coach, as as we saw in the Rams' offensive line last year. So uh, they are important, but in, in in regards to importance, now I'll say this, Ryan. There's a the dynamic scheme in-game adjustment to me is a distant third because I think we just saw a guy win a championship that's a mediocre at best in-game coach in Kirby. Sport. Yeah, it's true. You know, so uh, distant third. If you're if you're a great teacher, because that's Monday to Friday, right? Mm-hmm. That that's that's where that's where games are won, in my opinion, for a big chunk. Give me talent that can get these kids ready to play on Saturday. I've said this before. Give me a good OC. Give me a good play caller that's a great teacher over a great play caller who's not a very good teacher any day of the week. Hence, Charlie Weiss. That latter is Charlie Weiss. 99 problems, BK81. And that's not a shot at Charlie. Well, it kind of is for college. It's not a shot for him in the NFL. It doesn't matter in the NFL. But in college, you got to be a teacher. Yep. 99 problems, BK81. Was Clark Lee not a good recruiter, or was it the BK's philosophy of shopping down a different aisle held him back? No, that was Clark Lee's choice. Marcus Freeman – was under the same umbrella that and Mark and Clark and Mike Elko were both in the Brian Kelly shop down a different aisle thing. And they just said, no, thanks. I'm going to go after this guy. And mm-hmm. they got him right. He didn't pan out, but Derek Allen was a huge victory for Notre Dame. Oh, I forgot about Derek. They beat Allen. Clemson and Alabama or Clemson and Georgia for him. Like, okay, he didn't pan out. Right. We all get that. But 
that was a huge recruiting win. Then to go get Kyle Hamilton a year later. I mean, some of the, you know, some of the, the, the Shane Simon was a big time recruit. I mean, they, they got some big time players in that stretch, you know, I mean, they, they Jason beaten. So the Adamiolas were originally leaning towards Michigan. Yeah. And they yeah. were able to get them. Right. So now that happened a little bit before Elko, but the, the point is he just said, screw that. Right. I'm, I'm going to go get the best players I can get. So did Marcus Freeman. Clark Lee kind of adopted that, but it wasn't so much of that. It was, he was super slow. He was like, he, Clark Lee would be a great like GM because there's like a, there's a time frame. Like you, you can all pick your players the same day, like draft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you're methodical and take your time because you only got to be there by the same date. Right. Well, in recruiting, if you're that slow, by the time you're like, yeah, let's recruit that guy. He's like, well, he's been committed somewhere else for a month and a half. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that was that was Coach Lee's problem. It was more so that than it was he like, when he got involved in recruiting, he was pretty decent. But he just didn't have that dynamic personality that made guys. He's he's a guy you'd rather sit and talk politics with or talk a book report with than a guy you want to sit there and just charm your socks off. I mean, he's a good guy. But yeah. just not a real like super like wicked like I love talking ball with Clark Lee, but he's not a su- guy that you would really sit there and be like you know have a real dynamic conversation. Where you're like, man, that guy just charmed my pants off. That's that's not Coach Lee. <laughs> Mike Elko was pretty decent about that. And Marcus Freeman's really good about that. Keith Zito, we kind of addressed this a little bit, uh, Keith, but uh, said did the Vikings screw up by not taking Hamilton and trading down to take sign from Georgia? What's your opinion on the safety sign from Georgia? Well, I mean, uh, Lewis Seen is a guy that I think fits pretty well with Harrison Smith. I, I have no issue with the trade back, and I really don't honestly have a – I don't have an issue with them not taking Kyle Hamilton in that spot. The issue that I have is what they got back for it, Keith. I mean, it was like a third-round pick for that for dropping down 20. Brian doesn't care much about it because it's – you know, it, the I think the the margin of players this year isn't as wide, right? So, like, I get that conversation, but for me, it's still you drop down twenty picks. I expect more than a third, uh, a third for right. a first round pick. That's all. Well, it's not that I don't care about it. I mean, you always try to maximize your value. It's just I understand in this draft class that wasn't being offered, so it's either trade down and get a third, or don't trade down and draft a guy you don't think should be picked twelfth. That's right. kind of where I'm coming from. So yep. it's like I would have done that with number one. Like I would have not. I would have been totally fine taking a normal, not number one value to trade down and get more picks. But so uh, it's more about this particular year In other years. I would have had a bigger problem with that. You should have given up a more than that to get, move up to 20 spots in most mm-hmm. years. Yep. Tyler Evans, who is the next Notre Dame player getting drafted in what round? It's so tough to predict. It's between Kevin Austin and Kyron Williams. I think it's going to be Kevin Austin. I really do. I, I think that he'll be off the board top of the fourth round. It's just running backs tend to get undervalued, and wide receivers who are long and fast tend to get overvalued a little bit. So I'll say it's Kevin Austin. Next one off. That's interesting with the the intel that you dropped on the board the other day. Yeah. You're I mean, you sure you're buying it because you said this, you said it earlier, man. You're sticking to your guns. Like, this is yeah. that season where I just. You got to take things in one ear and out the other a little bit. Miles Miles Boykin had late round grades too, and then he got mm-hmm. that you know that early. Here's, it only takes my one. Question, though, Ryan, does it? Yeah. Does him not panning out? I mean, he didn't even come close to panning out. Does yeah. that then hurt a guy like Kevin Austin? 
I mean, a little bit, but it's you can also point to. I know Chase is kind of was up and down last year, but like Chase has mostly been pretty good since Pittsburgh drafted him. So Chase I think that also does a help. Period of time though, like Chase was a starter yeah. for three years from their name, not sure. the one year one that those other guys are. I mean, I get, yeah. I, get I, I think your point is valid, but that I'm more looking at it from that one year wonder your draft. Like Chase was a good football player whose combine boosted him into the early second round. Mm-hmm. Where the other guys got like, I don't think Chase Claypool was getting low round grades before the combine, right? He was probably like mid, like third to fourth. No, no, he, yeah, I, th- I think he was like third or fourth round grade yeah. somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Sparkling Swan is the is this the biggest moment, the best momentum Notre Dame has had in twenty years? I feel like it's a perfect storm, updated facilities, nil strategy, etc. Hmm. I I'm gonna say it's close, but I'm gonna say something. Look, I'm gonna tell you right now. Biggest chance that I felt Notre Dame had prior to this. Mm-hmm. If Charlie Weiss would have made better coaching decisions from a hiring standpoint, Notre Dame would have been really good. Because if you go look at those back, that 07 and 08 recruiting classes were stupid good. And, but he just couldn't take advantage of it. I mean, think about all the big time players and the high draft picks that Charlie Weiss drafted, that recruited. Just couldn't coach him, and he made bad hires. But like, if he would have put together a coaching staff like the one Marcus Freeman just put together, I think that was their that was their last chance to. If they would have done this different, boy, they could have been really good, really good. I mean, you, you talk about five star quarterback, five star receivers, highly ranked linemen. You know, they recruited well on defense, not as well. That was the last missed opportunity. But but I would say since '93, this is probably the most momentum Notre Dame has had. I would say just because they've been winning. In recent years, the facility, like you said, the facilities are better and all that. They just now have to take advantage of it. So, yeah, I, I, this is the closest they've been in a long time. I'll say that. Jay Wiki Jr. A coach. This may be a dumb question, but is it even possible for a Juco guy to go to Notre Dame? Also, who's the best Juco player you've ever scouted? I saw Cordell Patterson. I'm probably saying that wrong. And he was incredible. I've never scouted a Juco kid. And to be honest with you, I mean, the only other Juco kids I've ever seen are kids that were in the last chance you. <laughs> so uh, is it possible if it's an Aaron Rodgers situation? Yes. It had to be a Juco kid. That's going Juco because he was overlooked. Not a bounce back. Yeah. No, right. It, right. it won't be like a last chance you type situation. No. If it's a kid, that's a great student. And because at that point in time, you can basically say, hey, look, just so you know, none of your community college credits are going to transfer. All right. So that's fine. Cause I still have four years to play five because some of those kids, you know, play for a year or something like that. But it, it would it would be a very 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 rare situation. It'd have to be it'd have to be a kid that had great grades, but he just wanted to be recruited. But nowadays, there's so many options for kids like that. The, those days of that, just go to just go to a small school, and if you succeed, transfer. I mean, the one time transfer is going to change that. I think. I don't think you're going to see kids going to JUCO who have grades. I think they'll just go to UC Davis, play for a year or two, and if they're legit, transfer to Cal, transfer to Fresno, transfer to USC. I think that's going to ultimately end up happening as well. John A1, can Notre Dame single-handedly knock the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 out of playoff contention in 2022? Two of those I agree on. The mm-hmm. third one I don't. It's the Pac-12. Because I don't. I, if if Notre Dame beats Clemson convincingly, they could. That I think Clemson could be out. Because let me let me look at Clemson's schedule. Because the problem is Clemson doesn't play like usually a, a like because of the ACC their schedules challenging for them to have a, a good enough schedule to get in with a loss. 
they've have they've done it, but it's it's harder. I mean, the, Furman, Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech, Wake Forest, NC State, Boston College, Florida State, Syracuse, Louisville, Miami, South Carolina. Yeah, they got to beat Notre Dame to get in. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Say so Ohio State has a would have a better case. Because here's the here's a big difference between the Big Ten and the ACC too, right? Notre Dame would be beating Clemson on November fifth. Now look, we've right. seen we've seen Clemson lose a late season game. They lost a pit late in the season and still got in, but that was a great Clemson team. So it's possible. But if Ohio State loses to Notre Dame in the opener in a close game and then runs the table, they still got a great shot at getting in, right? I mean, th- they do because th- th- mm-hmm. they'll have some good wins and all that. So Pac twelve, I, I could see. I could see USC winning it, but I could also see USC being like the third or fourth best team in the Pac-12 this year. <laughs> so I think what's going to knock the Pac-12 out is the Pac-12. Yeah. Demetrius Ryan. Ryan, who should Cleveland pick at 44? Oh, man, that's a random one. Um, their Cleveland. Needs? Their needs. So wide receivers a need. Even though they have Amari Cooper, they could still need a secondary option. Offensive line's good. They have Deshaun Watson now. There's not a need there. Defensive line, they could use another edge opposite of Miles Garrett because I believe J. Davion Clowney left. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong about that, though. So I'm going to say you're going to go – actually, no, no. They need an interior defensive line. They need interior defensive line help. So I'm going to say if it's an interior defensive lineman, Travis Jones from UConn is a good player that's still on the board. Why receiver-wise is Sky Moore to go along with Amari Cooper. So there's a couple different players for you. Conley Ellis, speaking of recruiting, anything on Rico Flores and is he a take? Uh, the only thing is he's visiting the weekend of June 10th, and yes, he is a take. Mm-hmm. Jay Wiki Jr., do you prefer the first round on day one only, or do you miss the old days of multiple rounds on one day? I, I actually like it spread out a little bit, to be honest, because mm-hmm. um, it gets, I mean, it gets madness when it's like multiple rounds. Ra- like yesterday, how quickly that thing was moving, man. If it went to a second round, I would, I would lose all my steam, to be honest with you. So, yeah, yeah I, I kind of like it spread out a little bit. I think it gets you more time to have some analysis, kind of sit back and just actually think about like fits and all that type of stuff. Like when it goes too quick, you're just like, like scatterbrained at some point like yesterday was tough even though it was one round it was going so quick because there wasn't a lot a lot of trades early that i was just like dude like i can't keep up with this right now like it's crazy and then there was a couple trades thrown in there and it's just like yeah i like the draft spread out a little bit i like it i think for me it depends on how i'm looking at it from doing this job like ryan kind of alluded to i think that's where you're coming from yeah i i i prefer it to be spread i don't know if i would say three days I wouldn't mind day one being one, two, and three, and then day two being four, five, six, and seven, like on a Saturday. But I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of like the way that they do it. Having said that, as a fan, I, I do miss the draft being all in one day. As a fan, I miss having that one day that is just like, because like the anticipation is like, okay, if, if you're just looking at it as a fan, round one ends and your team is sitting at thirty four, and you're like. You know, I, who are they going to take, you know? So as a fan, I'd prefer it be one to two days, right? One to three in one day and then four to seven or one to four, whatever. Uh, but for doing this job, it, it would be, it would be, especially if you're covering it in the NFL, there's so much more content you can do and time you can do real analysis. Like Ryan is saying when it's, you know, when it's uh, spread out over days. What, what I think is dumb is they made it on m- multiple days and then shortened the time to pick. Yeah, like back when it was all on one day, you had longer, more time to pick. It, it doesn't make know. any sense. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't it make any sense at all. Sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. All right, next question, Craig Sebring. Mm-hmm. 
now that this thank you for the super chat craig now that the spring game has passed any new guys have moved up or down the depth chart i would encourage you to go uh we i did a depth chart sort of projection the other day at irishbreakdown.com i'd encourage you to, to go check that out i think the biggest thing is obviously freshmen are going to move up the depth chart i mean or at least have a, a chance to compete we've seen some guys kind of solidify and you know, was Rocco going to be at right guard or left guard? We now know where he's going to be. He's going to be at left guard. You know, there's questions about who plays left tackle, right tackle. Is it all? Is it Fisher? So I think those are more of the storylines as far as guys moving up and down the depth chart. I I think the one guy that I think is kind of moved, and I don't know if he's moved up because I think he's still technically third, but junior two Alamaka is a guy that's going to be hard to keep out of out of the top two at Mike Linebacker, I think, for me. But as far as anybody else moving up or down, Ryan, I, I don't know if I – you know, with so many guys being out and all that, else, I don't know if I could say if anybody's moved up or down. I just, right. I just think guys are more challenging for a role as opposed to necessarily moving up or down. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a, you're, you wouldn't quantify like a Jaden Mickey as as moving up or down, right. right? Like he's just trying to get his footing into yeah, the Yeah, because he's rotation, probably still in the right. same place in the depth chart as he was going into the spring, right? I mean, it's not like he passed anybody that, you know, but he's going to have a do. He, he has a chance to do it now. Right. I mean, that's, you know, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Bob's an idiot. Agrees with you. I agree with Ryan. Pickles are awful. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you got to have some people on your side, right? No, no argument, man. John a one with another question would playing the last few games of the season affect would have would playing the last few games of the season affected where Kyle Hamilton was taken. I want to get your stance on this first, Ryan, and then I'm going to give mine. Look, there's, there, there are definitely some, there's definitely going to be some evaluators and decision makers that will ask about the situation. And when they, if they find that he was able to still play and he did not want to play again, it's his personal decision. I have no opinion on this. I'm just telling you that there will be evaluators that will hold that against him. They will. I know for no, for a fact, for a fact, there were, there were teams last year that took players that opted out of the season completely off their board. Mm-hmm. They don't love football, right? Quote, unquote. Right. It's right. not a fair su- assessment for most kids. For, for most for players. Some, yeah, for some. Yeah, yeah. For, for most. I mean, I would say like, I mean, like a, a decent portion of it, right? But uh, yes, it is, a, it is a part of a factor, John. I, I don't know how much it would have bumped him. I don't know if it was held against him to a high degree. I don't know if it was held against him at all. I'm just telling mm-hmm. you that that is a conversation that does happen. Yes. I think for Kyle, for me, it was a combination of factors that this was a part of, in my opinion. I I think especially, too, for me, I would look at the whole you opted out thing depending on what team you're playing for. Like, if your team sucks, I'm like, you know what, man, I I get it. Like, what are you going to go out there for and get your brain speed in every week? But, like, you're looking at me like, dude, you had a chance to play for championship. And I, I do know this. I can say it now that he's been drafted. There were a lot of Kyle's teammates that were not happy that he was telling people, if we come back for the playoff, if we make the playoff, I'm coming back. There, there were some teammates of his that didn't like that very much and let it be known they didn't like that very much. Because, like, wait a minute, we're not good enough for you to come back for now? Because the reality is, here's the facts, right? He could have come back sooner. I've heard no one, like, in a – other than Brian Kelly publicly, which Brian Kelly has to say that. He cannot – you cannot – go after Kyle Hamilton publicly that way. This would have been the wrong move. I've had several people tell me like, yeah, he could have played. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad of an injury. He could have played like people are like, well, maybe the injury is why he didn't run as fast. No, no, he could have played. 
and he chose not to. I, but I, but I think if that was the only thing, if Kyle would have gone out and ran a four four two, nobody would have given a rip. Right. I think it's the combination of the injury that led to that, the fact that he did also miss a game in twenty twenty with an injury and and was not healthy. I mean, we've talked about this. The ankle kept him from being as healthy in twenty twenty, which to me I think kind of would help him because I thought he was a way better player in twenty twenty. Uh, with the fact that he had the bad testing, the forty time. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that it was the comp each one of those things by itself. I don't think drops him as much as the combination of all of them. That's, that's mine. And let's be honest. He was a tremendous talent, but this, this year was his worst year on film. Again, worst of three really, really good seasons. Right. I mean, so sometimes you got to be careful using the word worst Ryan, because it has a negative connotation, but at least for me, he was a much better player in 2020 than he was in 2019 than 2021 for me. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, no, he was great. He was great in 2020, man. Yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah. And, and who knows? Maybe he would have finished the year strong yeah. if he would have played. Who knows? And I think that to me is the bigger thing is like you missed an opportunity to put some really good film on the on the table. Like if you know, like I don't fault him for getting hurt against USC. There's nothing you can do about that. He was ge- he was genuinely hurt against USC and he was genuinely out for North. Like he could not have played against North Carolina the next week. Like, so I'm not gonna fault him for that. But he he could have come back later in the year from from everything I was I was told. See if we can find some more questions before we get out of here, Ryan. I, I think that's going to wrap it up. Let's see here. Uh, Carl Bremer, have you heard anything about the Bears potentially grabbing Kyron Williams, and do you think he and David Montgomery would complement each other well? I haven't heard team specifics. Like I said before, I've heard just more about round ranges. I, I think that it does make sense, though, because they lost uh, Tariq Cohen this offseason, who's kind of that satellite back and catch the ball really well. So it would make sense. Carl from a structure perspective, from a schematic perspective, from a need perspective, but I haven't heard specifically what teams are targeting him because the further you down into the draft, obviously that becomes even more muddled than near the top. All right. That is going to do it for today's show. Everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell so that you know, when we're going to do a show again. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to the website, boards.irishbreakdown.com. Share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast, please give us a five-star review. And as always, come back. Next time we have a show, come back. So check out irishbreakdown.com. Sign up for the free newsletter. Got the merch store going on down there. Got the built bar going on, built bar going on down there. A lot of stuff going on. May say K, come in with it. Join the message board. Smash the like button. Hit subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Leave a five-star review. And as always, go Irish. Thanks, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, so, so, see, Irish for life. You have two questions out there, buddy. I, what questions? Oh, here. I don't. Okay. Do you want to add, answer this one, right? I don't know the answer to this. That's why I didn't answer the question. Is Walt Bell's offensive system a true air raid? I'm not what sure. What other system does he incorporate in his offense? So, I'm who did he sure. get hired by? I'm also not sure. He was the UMass coach the last year, got fired, right? I don't know where no. Walt Bell's at now. No idea. So, yeah, I apologize, but that's the reason we didn't answer. But I didn't want you to feel like we were disrespecting you, buddy. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're feeling well. So everybody have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.